All right. Hello and welcome to episode one of Cryptoversity. So we've done two episodes, Mike, but this is episode one. Hello to you. Sorry to me. Okay, you could. Yeah, that was it. That was fine. There. You were speaking to the listeners. <laughs> hello to you. It's, it's a uh, fine moment. Listeners, you, you <laughs> listeners. Hi, listeners. Hi, Mike. So episode one. We've had two episodes. Why is this episode one? Could you explain that? Yeah. Well, I guess because the first one was just us rambling, um, which may may actually. How is that different? To this? <laughs> Maybe a theme. Maybe a theme. Yeah. Um, but this is the first one where we have a name where we have like a format um, of the different segments we're going to do. So it's the first one that somebody could feasibly argue is potentially the closest thing to an episode. That's right. Yeah. We sort of had the pilot episode, I would say. It's a yeah. pilot. The studios accepted us. And now we've got, a, they've ordered a season from us. So yeah. let's see how it, let's see Sponsors how we are queuing up. Sponsors are queuing up. Oh, at this point. Get in, get in while it's hot. So you mentioned we've got a running order now. Yeah. Which makes a nice change. So should we go through just the segments broadly so the listener knows what's coming? Yeah. Um, and then dive into it. So I'll let you do that, Mikey. Cool. Okay. Well, so we decided to kind of split the show up into three segments with the first one being news of the week slash past couple of weeks, depending on how, how quickly we can get the episodes out, um, where we're basically each going to take a news item and cover it. I would love to say in depth, but it's probably more likely to be read the headline and then ask the listeners to send us more information on it. <laughs> but that's segment one. That's news of the week. Then we're going to jump into keeping with the kind of cryptoversity theme of us learning as we go here, a lesson of the week. And the lesson that we've got for this week is Bitcoin basics for that. And we got um, the interview that we did last week that I'm sure we'll talk about with Luke Garrett, PhD, that was fantastic. So we're going to break down um, the interview with Luke and also kind of talk about what we've learned and ideally try and get different expert guests to, I want to say, teach us the lesson and do the work for us, maybe is another mm -hmm. way of putting it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the second segment, the kind of lesson that we've learned. And then the third one is an idea that we're both pretty excited about, which is Portfolio Wars. Now, Portfolio Wars is basically taking three of Jack's favorite things in life. One, being a finance dork. Two, being obsessed with fantasy football. And three, um, a love of Excel spreadsheets. And yeah. we're basically going to compete in a year-long tournament head-to-head uh, -to, -head to see who can build up the best crypto portfolio uh, and get the best returns. So yeah, we'll talk about that when we get onto it, but... Those are our three segments. Lucky yeah, brilliant, listeners. brilliant. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mikey. That is, that's brilliant. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it, especially the portfolio wars, like you said. So yeah, and you know, this will be an ever-changing, movable feast of, of stuff. As, when, as soon as we lose all our money in the second month with portfolio wars, we'll probably need a new segment. Yeah. Uh, but, but for now, that's what we're sticking with. Let us know if you love bits, if you hate bits. If we should scrap the whole thing, if you want to double it, double. We have hours. had a lot of comments. We have had a lot of comments, uh, emails from listeners on that yeah. scrapping the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, don't quit your day jobs, boys. <laughs> nice try. Uh, that was just my mom. What um, the hell am I listening to? What yeah. is this rubbish? Stumbled yeah. across this by mistake. <laughs> Can't turn it off. 
<laughs> what's going on. Few people that have commented are saying that they love listening to this before they go to sleep. Um, people with uh, problems with kind of sleeping at night that have, yeah, been really, really appreciated the work that we've done so far. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, but we did, we did get some, we did get some good feedback. Jack, you had that uh, review that. Oh, you- we did, we did. Yeah. So my good friend Hugh uh, listened in. Uh, and this is what he said. This this was really nice. This, you know, this galvanized me for the day, really. Hi, Jack. Listened at my early morning gym session. Showing off a little bit there. Didn't need that bit. Uh, really, really great, man. I love the angle of not claiming to be an expert. Uh, and digging that into the actual... That came through. That came through, Yeah, that came... Funnily enough, that did we come We managed through. to pull that off. <laughs> uh, and digging into the actual technology, not being just another price prediction forum. So we scrapped the price prediction segment that we had planned after after reading that. Uh, it's unique in that sense. There's so much room to cover different parts of the technology in different segments. Thought you both had great rapport too. So you must be talking about me and Luke there, that, that bit. <laughs> but yeah, really good. Thanks, you for writing in. And isn't that, that's nice, isn't it? That's, that's kind of what we were going for. Um, I also sent, so you sent the podcast to Hugh. Great feedback there. I yeah. sent it to my dad. Um, good. About two two weeks ago now, still still not listened to it, but I'm sure he's just he's waiting to find. But he time. means he's re- to, yeah, de- yeah, definitely means it's on his to do list. And he's you know he's retired, so he's got a lot going on. Uh, I'm sure he'll carve out some time in his calendar at some point. But yeah, we and we had a ton of listeners, which was pretty crazy. We on Apple and Spotify, mm. you jumped into the analytics, and yeah, it turns out people are interested in hearing two idiots fumble through a podcast about something they don't know much about. Yeah, great. Who'd have thought it? Yeah, we're going to, hopefully we'll expand out, you know, to YouTube, to, we need to get some Twitter going, I suppose. We do. So we do actually have, we do have a Twitter account, but we haven't posted anything. So if anybody does want to follow us on Twitter, then... um, To see see nothing. Yeah, yeah, you can see the logo. You can see the logo. um, And you can see who we follow. She might be interested, basically just me and you <laughs> that we're following at the moment. Uh, but at, let's not oversell it. Let's not oversell it, Mike. At Cryptoversity MJ is uh, the Twitter handle, which we Cryptoversity taken, was it? Was it taken? Yeah, so Cryptoversity was taken. Yeah. Cryptoversity won also. Massive taken. account, millions of followers, great podcast. Fantastic. That was one of the best crypto podcasts <laughs> ever listened to. Uh, but so MJ is not nothing to do with the uh, musician. That's just my initials and Jack. Could have gone JM. Could have gone JM, but didn't. Uh, alphabetical order. Yours. Reverse alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and we, we tried Cryptoversity Pod, but that is one character too many for Twitter. So Cryptoversity MJ. Fascinating. It is. Fascinating and stuff. maybe we do get people that are searching for Michael Jackson, stumble across the show. Cross pollinate the audience. Cross pollination. Yeah. Cross pollination. Good. Fantastic. Right. That's been an hour of rambling. So, <laughs> yeah, this, got five minutes this is, this is the, the show where we're not going to ramble. <laughs> but okay, cool. Well, let's jump into it then. Uh, yeah, let's jump in. So, lost the running order. It's good. Good <laughs> work that. from the host. Just cut this bit. Uh, okay, Mike. So we've had we've had the intro there. Let's move on to the news. Are we on news yeah. now? Well, maybe like Sorry, try and put awful. in a little put in a little jingle here for the next. Yeah, sure. News. After we crypto news. Crypto news. 
so as we said, it's the crypto world. It's it's ever changing. It's rapid movement, finger on the pulse, bleeding edge of technology. Every week, it seems there's a massive piece of news that's happened in the crypto world, whether that's legislation in America or or elsewhere, or a celebrity has announced they've bought loads of it or sold loads of it that's caused a rupture in the market. Anything or a new coin has been launched. It could be anything that kind of we think is significant um, and giving our, our layman opinion on it. And we're going to pick one piece of news each pod, aren't we, Mike, I think? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. Maybe if, if we run through it quickly, maybe we up it. But I think one, trying to do a deep dive on one, I think could be good. Sounds good. Um, so we've got one each. We've got one each. Should we go with uh, go with yours first, if you like, Mike? What have you got for us? Yeah, so um, I want to try and focus on stuff that is obviously crypto-related, but also has a crossover with politics and what is kind of happening with crypto from a nation state perspective. And the reason for that is I think that is what is that along with institutional investment in crypto is what is really going to kind of push the market to the next level. Obviously, there's a ton of retail investors and individual investors on their Robinhood or Coinbase accounts that are investing right now. But if we do start seeing treasuries adding crypto to their treasury reserves in the same way as they have with other assets like gold, for example, that's where we would start seeing crypto really exploding and kind of going to the next level. And one of the things that has, is happening in the US at the moment is that the US is approaching what's called the debt ceiling. So the US has like a debt ceiling that is set that they have to go back and get almost like permission to break through. So the, at the moment, I don't know what that number is. Uh, I don't know what like, the <laughs> so news hot off the press, uh, but I don't know what the debt ceiling is. But basically, we're about to hit it, and what that would mean is that the U.S. would default or potentially default on its debt obligations. That's never happened before, and the general consensus is that if that does happen, it would absolutely destroy the global economy and the stock market, and would be uh, terrible for for everybody and everyone involved and Luckily, we're not, um, you know, it's not like they're leaving it until last minute. The debt ceiling is going to be hit on December 15th, which is six days. Days, six days away. Relax. Time of recording this. So no big Shouldn't deal. really be news for the next pod this week. <laughs> yeah, well, the news for the next, we might not have a next pod. If they, if, they don't, <laughs> if they don't raise the debt ceiling, we might not have a next pod. But, so, um, sorry, Mike. So the debt ceiling is the, essentially there's a limit on the state has borrowed. Exactly. So it's how much the treasury, I believe, has borrowed. So how much the government, let's say, has borrowed in order to continue running all of the kind of core services within the country and almost every country in the world, but certainly in the US and the UK, the economies run at a, a deficit, right? So every time that you hit a debt ceiling, if you aren't able to increase the debt ceiling and borrow new money, borrow more money, then you have to just start really rapidly slashing social services. And um, I think just it, because it's never been done before, just the knock-on effect of that debt ceiling being reached without it being raised would just cause a crash in the markets anyway. Uh, and, and this is by no means something I'm an expert in. It's something I've been reading about this week. No. So I would love it if we have, if listeners can like send us some more information and again do the homework for us that'd be great so is so is raising the debt ceiling just a fancy way of saying borrow more money 
Yes, it's a fancy way of saying that the Senate or Congress effectively, so, so Senate and the House of Representatives would allow the US government to borrow more money. And I believe what they're trying to do, and again, you know, feel free to fact check us, but I believe they're trying to borrow um, or increase the debt ceiling, raise the debt ceiling by $2 trillion. And even that would only buy us, I think, another year before they'd have to raise it again. And this has happened. This happens almost every year now, I think. And it's often used for like political grandstanding. So this bill is, it's called something like the healthcare and, uh, let me try and find it. I think it's called the... Basically something that sounds something that sounds really nice and positive. No, it's not even that. It's, it's, it's basically they're linking two things. So they're linking, it's called something like, let's say the healthcare and debt ceiling bill or debt bill. Right. And what they're basically I, doing is using, like saying to the Republicans are saying to the Democrats, hey, if you want us to vote on this, or if you want to be able to push this uh, through Congress, we're going to expect you to slash some of the limited health benefits that are given to, or Medicare, maybe that's it. Medicare and debt or something like that, right? Um, but right. it's being used as a kind of political football. But what effectively boiling it all down, what it's likely to mean is that it's more money printing and the reason kind of bringing it all back to the show we're doing um, the reason mm -hmm. it's relevant is the money printing and it leads to inflation. And the big bull case, the big uh, reason that people think Bitcoin is going to be worth a lot of money and continue to go up is that it's measured against the US dollar and the inflation of the US dollar is likely to lead to higher prices in Bitcoin. And right now in the US, inflation is at between 6 7% a year. If this debt ceiling or when this debt ceiling is raised, when more money is printed, it's likely to mean that it affects Bitcoin in a positive way. Right. But yeah. there's a lot of guesswork in there. So it would be great if our listeners can kind of correct us on <laughs> at Cryptoversity MJ. Maybe yeah. try JM just in case Jack's changed it. But um, yeah, it would be great to learn more. Mm. Do we know how much, like that's very, it's very America centric, that issue. Right. Do we know how much influence American stuff like this has on the Bitcoin price? Because Bitcoin is obviously global. A lot of talk about China last week with uh, with Luke. Why is it such an impact? Why is the American factor such an impact on the price? I guess it's because it's the largest, or if not second largest, like it, I think China's maybe approaching now, but I think it's the largest economy in the world. And um, if there is a recession in the US, um, like the housing crisis in 2007, 2008, that yeah. turned into a banking crisis, but that was a US housing crisis that then turned into a global banking crisis. Um, mm -hmm. So there, it, it is kind of like a knock-on effect that any big change in a negative way in the US economy just does affect the rest of the world. And US mm -hmm. debt at the moment, actually just Googled this while we we're talking, is 27, I don't even know what how you would say this number, it's 27 and then how many numbers come after it? Um, 12 numbers after that so a trillion i think that's a trillion then. is that a trillion 27 trillion I think so mm. well that's i mean that when i hear a number like that like yes it's a lot but it's kind of meaningless isn't it because it's not like like debt that a country has mm. is very very different to debt that an individual has sure. in terms of the way it the way it's handled and the way it's paid back and the way that the debt has foreclosed quote unquote 
because it's a very much it's used as a political weapon in the UK a lot, isn't it? When you know a, a conservative government comes in and they make a big deal of all the narrowing the deficit, and of course what they tend to do is spend more and the deficit widens anyway. But that's their weapon that they use against more liberal parties that that tend to want to spend more and borrow more on social services and things. But when I hear twenty seven trillion, that just means is that high or low? I don't know. I mean, I think it's you know? pretty high, but I I know what you mean. It's really hard to like contextualize. Well, like, is that a bad thing? The deficit at the moment in the US last year in 2020, the deficit was 3.1 trillion. And I imagine it's going to be a lot higher this year based on kind of everything that's happened with COVID this year as well. So, but, but I guess it, that means that the deficit at the moment is what is that like 12 to 15% of the total deficit through the whole of US history, which which does sound significant. Like again, we talked a little bit in the in the like pilot episode about the compound interest effect. If we do increase that deficit by 10% each year or 10, 15% each year, it will it, it will very quickly kind of run away from us to a point where you will never be able to pay that back. Like you say, I don't really know what the impacts of that are. Um, but well, I guess actually one, one thing that I do know what it is likely to mean, the higher that that debt is, the less likely governments are to increase interest rates. The debt is, you know, $30 trillion and you increase interest rates by a couple of percent, then you're going to make, you're going to increase your debt payments and you're going to make it even harder to ever pay that debt off or more likely that that debt compounds even faster. If they don't raise interest rates, they don't curtail inflation. If they don't curtail inflation, all of these are the assets that we're talking about, like crypto and even real estate, like it's the same with property prices in the UK and the US are often year on year going up in double digit percentages um, that they're less the, the way that you curtail that inflation is to raise interest rates. And while the debt is such a big problem, I don't think we see that. But we, sh- I mean, we sure. should really clarify to the listeners <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of guesswork and assumptions going into this, but I think it would be great. Like it would be great to get um, an economics professor on to talk us through mm. inflation, what these things really mean, and like like you say, maybe it isn't that big of a deal and it is manageable, or yeah, maybe it's a it's a big problem. Well, I don't know about I don't know about all that. I mean, yeah, inflation's what I've read on inflation is it's a fascinating thing because no, there are many different theories on why it happens. There's no like it's not like Luke talking us through how the blockchain works. It's not an exact science almost the inflation stuff. Is it? It's like a different economists have different theories on is it good? Is it bad? Why does it happen? Why has it happened in the past? Like it is. It's like a fast. It's almost like a natural thing a natural phenomenon that comes from having an economy rather than a a thing we've built ourselves and we manage and maintain. Um, So yeah, I agree. It'd be great to be great to, to have a real expert on, but I think you're doing really well there, Mike. That was a fascinating um, slice of news. So the news is the debt ceiling will probably rise and that (laughs) will affect. (laughs) When you put it like that, it doesn't sound as interesting. (laughs) We'll cut out the bit that you just said, we'll cut out the last 20 minutes. I'll just say that. But yeah, sorry, uh, but no, that's yeah. it is fast. It is a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating thing, and yeah, taking it back as you say to, to crypto, it's all about whether crypto is viewed as that inflation hedge by its donors, like gold was and still is, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and that's something that again, it would we we want to learn more about is the validity of that argument that crypto or that Bitcoin in particular is a hedge against inflation. Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff. Right. Thanks, Mike. Um, 
tough act to follow that one. Uh, but I've gone for, for my piece of news, is the, the crash or dip, or what, depending on how dramatic you, you viewed it as, basically the reduction in price of Bitcoin that happened over the last week. So what did happen was on last Saturday, Bitcoin dropped to the lowest it's been since April, I think. So it dropped temporarily down to $41,000 which is from a high of over 60,000. It's since rebounded a bit yet, but nowhere near close to the all-time highs. And that followed a massive bull run. So bull and bear, bullish meaning positive, bearish meaning negative. So a massive bull run up to that all-time high. Bitcoin, it, it as we say, it crashed down to 41,000. It's now sitting at 37,000 pounds, which is, we should just talk in dollars for this, shouldn't we, just to keep it? No, it's good to have both. So my, my Coinbase has it at mine's in dollars and has it at forty-nine thousand three hundred and twenty-four. Sure. Okay. So yeah, so as I say, it's rebounded up since then, but still still lower down than it was. So the question the question is why did this happen? So why has this quite a stark fluctuation happened? So fluctuations do happen all the time, but rarely to this degree. Uh, and people some people call them corrections, call them fluctuations different terminology again for for a dip like this so i thought i'll have a look at why why did this happen what were the contributing factors to this and there's a lot of again a bit like with the inflation theories there isn't a there isn't just one straightforward answer to why crypto pricing goes up and down i should also add ethereum followed suit although albeit a bit less dramatically it was down 10 percent as tends to happen bitcoin being the sort of market leader in crypto if there's a big bitcoin crash the other coins tend to have a similar a similar impact on their price. Not always, but but there tends to be for for the other bigger coins like like Ether. So what caused it? What were the possible causes? So again, go back to the US. The, there was a jobs report for November that was well below expectation. So each month they is it each month they do a jobs report. It might be each quarter actually. Um, the US published how many jobs were created in the economy that year, uh, sorry, for that quarter, and there were far fewer than was expected. So that's obviously, some people view that as a marker of, okay, maybe the economy isn't going that well, actually. We thought it might be, but it isn't. So some people thought that triggered the dip. Um, more interestingly, though, I found that yesterday, the heads, the CEOs of a lot of the exchanges, the crypto exchanges, were actually in front of Congress to testify essentially about regulation of the crypto market in the USA so that got announced the week prior just before the big drop so the the feeling is that that made a lot of people nervous essentially made a lot of investors nervous about what this meeting would yield as a result now as it turned out that so that happened yesterday and in the end, from what I can glean, it was a bit of a damp squib in the end. It wasn't this feisty debate that you've seen when um, like when Zuckerberg went right. in front of them, for example. And the general consensus is they, the legislators approached it with far less sort of vitriol as they do with some of those social media or tech giants. And there was a lot more curiosity from them rather than sort of venom because they they actually conceded, most of them conceded that they didn't fully understand it. Whereas with the social media stuff, they often have this inflated confidence that they do understand it when actually they they don't, but they kind of conceded that 
that it, they sort of didn't quite get it. And so the meeting, from far as I could tell, the meeting was the the CEOs were saying, look, this isn't like your new, this isn't like banking. It isn't like a normal finance regulation. We need specific tailored regulation if you're going to give us regulation. And so we they essentially asked them to don't jump into it. Don't make any sweeping regulatory moves now. Like you have to essentially educate yourselves on it. And they and they agreed, broadly speaking. So it wasn't this catastrophe that the market thought it would be. Um, yeah, so in the end, no, no new regulation came of it, as it doesn't with these things. It is more of a fact-finding exercise, I could tell. But the general feeling was that went well, essentially, which is what I think, which is probably good news for, for crypto owners, at least in the short term. Um, that is really interesting. So I hadn't realized that that what happened yesterday, but what I did notice, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but two of my US-based um, crypto trading apps, Binance and Coinbase, at the same time changed their ID verification process. So I was notified, hey, you now need to provide more, more documentation to... Um, verify your ID. And until you do that, you can't trade any more crypto. Oh, so my crypto on those accounts is effectively locked. And I did that pretty quickly. But still, I wonder whether that has anything to do with the CEOs of those exchanges being bought brought in front of whoever they were brought in front of. Um, Maybe, yeah. Was them kind of trying to get ahead of the curve there. Maybe, yeah. I haven't seen that. I should be concerned. That. Maybe I need to. I've got a two-factor thing. Is it the two-factor yeah. stuff? No, no, it was asking um, for my passport. And again, I'm a UK yeah. citizen on US trading apps. So, and, and it might not have, have anything to do with it. It was just interesting because I noticed that both of them did it at the same time um, and potentially around the time that that inquest was going on. Um, maybe. maybe so, man. Um, so, so I looked at, I, I looked into this as well, obviously, because from, and, and I think it'd be, it'd be fun for us to talk about like, well, outside of just why you didn't, happened. you didn't trust me to cover it fully. It's <laughs> not, it's not, I didn't trust you. It's, yeah, I yeah, watched yeah, yeah. my, I watched my crypto yeah. balance just crash last <laughs> weekend. And I was like, okay, yeah. I need to understand why this is happening. Um, mm -hmm. but there were a couple of other causes that I saw that. I think impacted it. And like you said, I don't think there is kind of one set answer, but there were um, three in particular, or four, sorry, in particular, that I thought were interesting to add on to those ones that you said. So I think it's kind of like mm -hmm. probably even more than that. The first is that um, the Federal Reserve um, said that the, they were potentially going to start tapering the um, buying of... I, I don't know what the right terminology is here, but basically at the moment, when they're, how they're getting money into the economy when they're printing money is to buy bonds, which effectively just is their US government printing money and then buying bonds, which pushes it mm -hmm. into the economy. And they've been doing that every month um, since COVID. Like, well, they really ramped that up during COVID and have started doing that even more so um, after COVID. Tapering is basically slowing down them doing that. So they announced that they would likely start tapering soon so they didn't actually do anything but they announced that they might stop or at least slow down the rate at which they're buying um, those bonds and that was something that was a cause of concern because that goes against the bull case for bitcoin which is that all this money coming into the system is going to is going to increase it as right. inflation and the second one was the announcement of that Omicron variant yeah. of COVID, which could have an, a, 
a knock-on effect to the economy. So the stock market dropped on that Thursday and Friday, and then Bitcoin kind of followed suit. And then the final one, which I guess kind of is less specific to this crash, but I think is what makes Bitcoin so volatile, is there's just so much leverage from retail investors. So, and for listeners that don't know what leverage is, it effectively me, but go on. Well, so okay, I can give you an example because this happened to one of my friends. My my friend's brother um, was was trading crypto, but again, he's not like you know, he's not trained in it. He's not a trader. He's not an economist. He's just like a guy. He's a DJ that was trading crypto. Um, and sure. if you trade on leverage, so traditionally when you trade, I take a hundred dollars, hundred pounds, and I buy Bitcoin. If it goes up, maybe I sell it. Wait for it to go down. I buy some more. And that's kind of how traditional trading works. But you can trade on a lot of these crypto apps with massive leverage. And leverage is where I trade with $100, but I borrow, say, $900 from the exchange. And I now I buy, I take my $100 and I buy $1,000 of Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin goes up, I make more money. I have to pay the 900 back plus a really insanely high interest because it's meant to be done short term. But mm. I make a much higher return because if Bitcoin goes up by 10, 20%, I'm making that 10, 20% on $1,000 instead of 100. But the problem mm. with that is if Bitcoin drops by 10% or sometimes less, then you get what's called a margin call where the exchange forces you to sell your position and it's not like if you if it drops 10% and you have $100 in, you can lose $10. If it drops 10% and you have $100 in, leveraged up to 1000 now if it drops 10%, it's dropped by 100 You owe the 900 back and your $100, but Bitcoin's now dropped. It's gone as well. Exactly. So this happened to one of my, my friend's brothers where he basically had his life savings that he was um, leveraged trading with and sat there and in the space of an hour watched it get totally wiped out. And I think we're talking like $30,000, $40,000 that just within an hour disappeared. And a lot of people do that kind of leverage trading. And what that means is when it drops by a small amount, loads of, you know, people get margin calls and they're forced to sell. So and will me, the margin call, sorry, Mike, will the yeah. margin call always occur when the, the exchange realizes you would be able, when basically it drops to that, in your example, it drops to 900. So they know that, right, at this point, he can pay us back now just with what he's invested and that, and what he borrowed, basically. It's usually, be, well, it's almost always before that because they want to make sure right. they don't risk it going too slowly. Losing they, more. They lose yeah. more. So they don't ever, obviously never want to lose money. Um, so it will normally be right before your um, Bitcoin is about to, or whatever you're trading is about to drop by yeah. enough, you know, enough to wipe out your initial capital. They'll force you to sell it. You don't have a choice. It's a margin call. It automatically sells. Um, and then you're left with nothing at the end of that. And there's a lot of these kind of like online gurus teaching people how to do leverage trading. Um, but it's extremely dangerous. And if you are, again, for me and you, we could, we don't trade with leverage. So we could lose 10%, 20%, you know, if things really drop 50, 60%, but we're never going to wipe out and go to zero unless no. so does. And that happens in the stock market as well. Big institutions, banks do that all the time. Pension funds do that. But um, 
a lot, a lot of the crypto apps allow people to like allow retail investors to do that. And, and then the last thing I'd say is to put that crash into perspective, I think it dropped by over 30%, which is insane. That's like a global recession if that happens in the stock market, but it's actually not that big of a drop in terms of like Bitcoin. So Bitcoin dropped in May, 2021 by over 50%. It dropped in March, 2020 by over 50%. In December, 2017, uh, it was a slower drop, but it dropped by 84%. In December 2013, 50%. April 2013, 83%. Um, June 2011, it dropped by 99%. So there is, it, Bitcoin has always been volatile. And the way that I've heard it described is that it's going through this phase of price, price discovery. And when any new asset is going through price discovery, it's extremely volatile. And really, as long as that volatility over the long term sees the price going in the right direction and you're willing to kind of stick with it, you can make money from an asset that is volatile. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it's scary when it happens. And me and you were texting yeah. on the morning that it had dropped by 30%. And I was talking to you about uh, being a bit nervous about it because, you know, it's a significant amount of money being wiped out in the space of two or three days. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the psychology is fascinating in it with these things. I mean, and I guess it's all psychology, isn't it? Because it's all people buying and selling based on their emotion of whether they think it will go up or down. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. I've seen, I've read a thing as well that said people can, you can predict when this, a way of predicting when a crash will happen is when you, if you have access to, people moving their Bitcoin from cold storage onto exchanges mm. because people tend to only do that when they want to sell people that right. store them in cold storage. So when there's an influx of Bitcoin into an exchange, that tends to signify a drop. I don't know how you get that information. I don't even if, if you know, somebody had it and, yeah. and called it. And I thought <laughs> that was interesting. Um, I think yeah. it is publicly available and it's called um, on-chain analytics and it basically is like looking at the data because all of this stuff's public it's looking at the data across all of the different exchanges and you can so you can have that kind of insight that you, you would never be able to have within the stock market of how much is being moved onto exchanges how much is being moved off are there big whales they call them like huge you know people that have yeah hundreds of millions or billions of dollars is that being moved really quickly and where to is it being moved onto an exchange or off an exchange and that builds up this picture of what's called like on-chain analytics where people can see that like macro perspective of the crypto market and what's going on and i, I actually okay. think over the next couple of years there'll be some really interesting um applications or you know companies that provide that data for retail investors to be able to kind of see in like a like a user-friendly way what's going on in, in the market mm, yeah no, no doubt question for you jack do you think based on like what the research you did do you think it's going to continue to drop or do you think it kind of like levels out now and and starts going back up i've got a clue man <laughs> like yeah i, don't, I heard it here first listeners heard it haven't here first. got a scooby-doo well like you said like i don't want you and i to become this just a price predicted thing but the, yeah, who knows? I mean, it seems to have leveled off now over the last few days after that dip. 
whether that means, you know, there's dead cat bounces, aren't there, where it pops up a little bit, then drops further, or this means it's a rally. I really just don't think, I think we know. And we were speaking as well last week, weren't we, about a WhatsApp about these people that say, oh, this specific price is a marker. This, If it hits 51K, that's significant because it's a blah, blah, blah. Like, right. to me, my knee-jerk reaction to those sorts of things is what the hell are you on about? But right. I think on this part, it would be good to actually explore them and have a look at a few of those supposed sort of golden prices and see if there's any truth to them or what they're actually on about. Because I right. just don't understand, you know? Yeah, 100%. Do you and they, understand it? Not, not, not at all. Like, I think it was me that texted you in that group being like, oh, guys, check out 51K. That's a big resistance. <laughs> but I was like, and you questioned it. I was like, yeah, no, good point. I got no idea. <laughs> but um, that's called the like technical analysis. And that's for, I guess, is people that are used to trading in the stock market that look at the technical analysis of what a chart looks like, like trading patterns and support lines. Yeah. And is it an like, M isn't or that all bullshit though? Like candles, yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. On, isn't the whole past performance? It's the whole don't expect future gains based on past performance. Isn't that all that is? I don't know. Honestly, I don't. Can you I draw these patterns from these charts? I don't know either. But I wonder whether some of it is almost like they talk it into existence because, like, let's say for example, the crypto market at the, or Bitcoin at the moment, I think is the market cap, the total value of all Bitcoins around a trillion dollars, maybe like 1.1, maybe just under. Mm -hmm. But that might be like a psychological thing where okay, sure. well, once it goes below this amount, now it's dipped below one trillion. Is that and and then there's people, there's traders, yeah. big institutional traders that look for signs like that. But I don't know. I hear people compare. Oh well, the bull run now it's mapping the exact bull run of. 2013 it's like yeah but in 2013 it was a bunch of dorks on the internet who thought yeah. it was amazing they could buy a pizza with bitcoin um the, it, it whereas now you know you've got huge banks and financial institutions that are trading you've got governments that are buying it you like it, it it's it it's in no way comparable to what it was then so i'm with you i think it kind of is a bit of you know like tarot yeah. card reading but I don't know enough about it. And I think it'd be interesting to get somebody who does to educate us on it, I guess. Yeah. I could get behind the idea that if it hits a certain like psychological threshold of 1 trillion or 1,000, right. that people, A, people will notice that, or B, people will have just put sell limits on, on yeah. certain round numbers. Yeah. And so when it hits a certain number, loads of it sold, because that's when somebody bought it at $10 said, right, I'll sell when it hits $1,000. Right. And that triggers automatically like that makes sense doesn't it and there's the famous meme number isn't there six nine four two zero like sixty nine four twenty when a load of whenever a stock hits that it drops because loads of people have put that meme price on to sell wow. just because it's funny so <laughs> like yeah crazy is that right so yeah yeah so yeah there's things like that that yeah and people but just yeah, you're right. stuff up then. Like one of our friends in that same WhatsApp group was saying, "Well, when it hits forty five k, that's when I'm going all in." And why? you were asking why, and I'm like, well, "I don't know. I just feel like that's a good, it's a good number." Yeah, for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, why not have those? It. But it's like anything when you put the price of something, you give it a round number. When you sell your house, you say, "Oh, four seven five. You don't say, "I'll put it on at four seven six pound fifty. Like, right, right, because. Round numbers are useful, aren't they? Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Anyway, Mikey, let's move on. So, Mike, last week we spoke to Luke. We wanted to learn a bit about 
Bitcoin basics, really. Like, how does this thing work? Like on a fundamental building blocks level. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought Luke was great. I thought he really was patient with us in our uh, in our density. Put it that way. <laughs> And, and struggling to grapple with the basics he repeated himself many times some great analogies for us how did you how did you find it um i thought it was great i, I really did and i think luke was such a great guest to have on and if anybody's listening if anybody's listening to this um i i would really like highly recommend listening to that interview with luke garrett um i guess to, to intro luke he is I mentioned it earlier, but an applied cryptographer, a professor or lecturer rather at Oxford University and a PhD from Oxford in cryptography, knows a ton about cryptography and blockchain from a technical perspective. And he was great as a first guest because he's really, really skeptical about this space, about crypto in general, and thinks mm. that a lot of the projects are really overhyped. Um, and yes, yeah, so I thought his kind of skepticism as our first guest was really healthy because it gives us a lens to judge any of the projects that we we look into um, with a bit more skepticism ourselves. I guess overall, one thing it made me realize is I am stupid because the, <laughs> there were some concepts that we got him to explain to us three or four times, and then I still didn't fully understand them. He, he explained hashing to us. I think four times. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, I see now. But it was basically, I just didn't want to embarrass myself by asking again. Yeah. Uh, did some research after and kind of started getting my head around it more, but just made me realize how highly technical um, this market, this industry, what ecosystem, whatever you want to call it is. Uh, and how it made me realize how little I know about it in truth. Mm. Yeah, I definitely learned a lot more about that process of the blockchain, how it works, how transactions work. But like you, I just felt like I was so, I felt like I was much closer, but not quite fully there with the complete picture of when a transaction happens, it goes out into the network. Everyone's trying to hash together a random number with the new blockchain, with your right. transaction on it to get a number close to zero. Like that's so, I feel like I'm, my stupid brain is so close to getting that, but not, isn't there. And that's, but then I thought, well, like my initial takeaway was, well, I'm a bit more skeptical about Bitcoin now, but thinking like having kind of let it stew and let it, let it turn over in my mind over the last week, I probably wouldn't understand how bank transactions work on a traditional ledger in NatWest or Barclays. You know, I wouldn't. Right. You know, I don't need to understand those to feel comfortable having a bank account with them. True. So, but you, but I guess the that... difference is no, but the difference, and it is, it is an important difference, is that you aren't putting your, so you're putting your trust. So, if you were to, let's say a NatWest bank transfer, you're putting your trust into an organization, into an institution, NatWest. And presumably you are hoping that they understand how that transaction works and you're trusting them. Sure, and okay. That transaction and your money is up to a certain amount protected by the government. By the if FCA, they yeah. send it to themselves, you, you're going to get your money back. The, of course, the reason, yeah, it's different. And, but whereas with Bitcoin, 
the technology is what you're trusting and what we're all trusting, what everybody who owns any amount of Bitcoin, there is That's no true. Bitcoin Inc. So we're all basically saying we trust this technology to be safe and to mm. not just lose all of our money or send it to the wrong place or be hackable or whatever. Um, so it is important that people understand it in a way that you don't really have to if you just trust in NatWest. You know? I suppose, but I guess I, I still have that trust after our chat with Luke. It's more, I don't, like I, him speaking with, with that clarity and confidence in it, even as someone who didn't, and the other thing that was shocking was he didn't own any Bitcoin at the end. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he, the way he spoke as a skeptic about the blockchain Bitcoin network, he spoke with complete confidence in the security of that network. That wasn't yeah. the bit he's skeptical about, is he? He, like, he respected the sanctity of the security of the blockchain within Bitcoin. Like that right. was that's the one bit he likes almost. I would say about it, right. and that's the one bit we don't understand. Speaking to him and understanding the complexity of it almost heightened my confidence in the security of it. Fair. Yeah. Whereas it didn't. The other things he was saying about blockchain being effectively a bad solution for many other applications, I found right. fascinating because, like, like he was saying, everyone's evangelizing about blockchain being the future. But he was like, actually, in 99% of cases, just use a normal database because yeah. blockchain is really annoying to use. And, I, and that really resonated with me. And I thought he was absolutely spot on with. Um, so I guess that to summarize what I what I think he was saying, and tell me if you think this this is wrong. But I think what he was saying is that there are certain applications where having a blockchain, which is in, in essence, a decentralized database. So a database that no one entity owns, but the, the huge ecosystem of thousands or millions of people um, are, are tasked with verifying. It's like a, a, a decentralized publicly owned database. The, the mm -hmm. benefit of that decentralized database has certain use cases. And one of those might be a currency. So that he was saying, actually, I think Bitcoin is um, one use case where it maybe would make sense, but that in a bunch of other instances, like a ton of the other projects out there, a decentralized database wouldn't make sense. And he gave some examples of blockchain projects that were kind of pointless because there's yeah. a centralized company that inputs the data into yeah. the blockchain, which means you're still trusting a company. You're trusting a company to yeah. put the information into a, a decentralized database. It, it doesn't add up. And he gave some examples of some scams. I did look mm -hmm. into it. And one of the scams he gave as an example, do you remember the one? And we so the banana play, one. Yeah, the banana one that just, or I don't know if it was the banana one or it might've been the other one that um, said it was using like revolutionary blockchain technology. People bought into it and then they just shut down the website and had a blank page saying penis yeah. and no one yeah. got their money back. I looked into that. And they stole something like a hundred bucks. Like it wasn't a ton of money. So this wasn't like sure. millions of dollars were scammed out. And the, and and again, going back to that on-chain analytics, you could see who the money that they stole was then sent to or where it was sent. And it was sent to another wallet that had less than a hundred bucks in it. And that, so it's that was probably some kid somewhere, like a teenager that just did it as a joke. So I don't think that that was like the best example of, Hey, there's all these crazy scams out there. I'm sure there are others though, but um, mm -hmm. he was certainly skeptical about it. 
but um yeah I, I i really like that and i think like i said i think we should keep that skepticism as we look at other projects as to well does this really need to be on a blockchain yeah definitely definitely yeah really good as we say go and listen to the full interview because it is it was fascinating to to hear us week he spoke really well as we say very patient with us if you don't if you're just curious about what bitcoin is i think it's a great starting point i guess kind of for us of what else we learn like the other things that we learned about Bitcoin um, and to maybe kind of break down some of the basics of it as like a summary outside of just what we learned from Luke in terms of a definition of Bitcoin. I think a, a good definition is a digital monetary network based on an eight page white paper that was published anonymously. And that's one of the things that I, I think is just fascinating. Nobody knows who, um, actually created Bitcoin. So there's an mm. academic white paper that was put out, an eight-page white paper that describes how Bitcoin would work and explains blockchain and all of the different calculations that would go into it. It has that hashing algorithm that Luke talked about, explains how mining would work and how it would be decentralized. But we don't know who wrote that or you know how many people wrote that. So it's an anonymous origin and the entire trillion dollar plus ecosystem that now is bitcoin was created anonymously based off the back of an eight page academic white paper which is kind of crazy isn't it it is insane it's insane yeah yeah satoshi was the the alias that the right creator went by but yeah as you say people don't know if people don't know if it's one person or a group or whatever and luke i found it interesting luke touched on it because you can see the history of the initial code commits by these right. people, this person, and the commit messages have certain colloquialisms like, oh, this bloody code. Right. So people are sort of thinking, oh, is it someone from the UK? Is it someone here? Like, it's a fascinating, it's a whole crazy thing. So I went, down, I went down this rabbit hole on YouTube of looking into who Satoshi is. And right. there's a guy called, I think his name's Adam Brock, um, that a lot of people think is Satoshi because he was part of the like crypto, I think they're called cyberpunks, I want to say, um, community that were the like early adopters of Bitcoin and that were kind of like creating the, t Adam, sorry, Adam Back is the, is the guy's name. Adam and Back. He's generally considered, I, I believe, to be one of or to be the creator of Bitcoin. Right. Um, Vitalik, who is the founder of Ethereum, and a guy called Charles Hoskins, who's also another co-founder of Ethereum and now is the founder of Cardano. But I found interviews from both of them talking about who they think it is. And it's so crazy. Like there are people out there that are using AI and machine learning to read the text of the white paper and analyze it next to the texts of other academic papers by other crypto experts out there to see if there are speech patterns or not speech patterns, but like right wow. patterns in there. And a lot of that evidence points back to Adam Back. I then mm. found an interview with Adam Back where he was being asked about who Satoshi Nakamoto is. And he says something about how I'm sure that whoever that person is, there's a good reason that they'd want to remain anonymous and mm. basically says that the reason is that if we never know, I like think about it like this, Bitcoin has been kind of torn apart over the years as, oh, it's, you know, just for people to buy drugs or for terrorism or whatever. 
And there's been all these kind of like slanderous things said about it as a way of bringing it down. And yeah. if we knew who that founder was, then that person would almost certainly be relentlessly attacked, <laughs> maybe arrested. Um, and any mistakes they'd ever made in their life would be used against Bitcoin. But I just, I just think yeah. it's still so fascinating that we don't know who wrote this eight page document that is now worth, that has now created a trillion dollar ecosystem and two dorks from England making a podcast about it uh, 13, 14 years it's, later. Yeah, the anonymity, I think, also adds that crucial mysticism to it that makes it, it's almost like he's like, well, he or she is like a martyr almost. It's, right. it's like they've been enshrined into kind of saintdom because they're anonymous. It's yeah. kind of them being anonymous, like you say, we, we don't know any of their faults. You like you can idolize them if they're anonymous, as you do, as people tend to do with martyrs or with, well, you know, you meet a girl who you fancy before you find out what she's like. You idolize them and you fill in the blanks with their perfect. So that kind of like mystic <laughs> kind of and a little anonymity. window into your dating life. Yeah, that. <laughs> that kind of uh, yeah, you know what no, I mean though. Know. It adds that special magic to it, almost right. for want of a better, better phrase. Like um, and cool yeah, as you say, if we found aspect. out, it, yeah, if we found out it was some nerd in his basement, that well, might just pull. Found out, imagine the if bottom we, might fall out. We find it really interesting and are like really passionate about this. Imagine if we found out like the creator of Bitcoin was some like crazy racist or something like that mm. would really affect whether we would want to get it involved. Would. For yeah, other people, or, or whatever their politics were, even yeah, if they were moderately right wing or left wing, right, it would put people Certain off. Certain people would be put off by it, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I, I think that's interesting. I wonder whether that ever is something that's like publicly announced. Uh, but the other thing Luke said was that whoever that person is, they have. I don't know whether he said millions or hundreds. Yeah, one point one million Bitcoin, they reckon. Mm -hmm. So what is that? That's like six billion dollars, sixty billion dollars. Don't know. I mean, I'm I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare do lot. the mental maths. It is a <laughs> lot. A lot it of is money. a lot. Can you imagine having that and not touching it just because you wanted to protect the integrity of your project? Yeah, I don't know if that. Well, we don't know if. Maybe you just do lost we the know key. because we've got the history. Can you see the wallet that those are in? Yeah, that's so. That's what Luke was saying is that you can see that it's still sat on that same wallet and has never moved. So what he was saying right. is that that person's either lost their wallet key or um, <laughs> is just leaving it there. Right. Um, a couple of the other features of Bitcoin that I think are important to talk about. So yeah. we've talked a lot on this show and just in general, people will hear Bitcoin linked to inflation. One of the features of Bitcoin is that there is a finite supply. So there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And right now, as of like the end of 2021, there are, I think there's like 19 million that have been mined. So there's only a couple of million left to go. But because there's a finite supply, the idea is that you can't just print or create more. Whereas going back to when we're talking about the debt ceiling, governments are able to just create money from thin air. And that's what leads to inflation. We said it on the last show, 40% of all of the dollars in circulation were just created in the last 18 months. And that's what devalues a currency and causes inflation. That's never going to happen in Bitcoin. There's this fixed supply of 21 million miners. And again, Luke talks about this a lot more eloquently, but miners are out there effectively 
protecting the system by verifying all of these transactions. And in exchange for that, they get given these Bitcoin, right? So they're mining Bitcoin and bringing them into um, circulation. The number of Bitcoin that can be mined halves every four years. So that four-year halving cycle is what causes these huge pumps. So the halve, there was a halving in 2020, and that's what led to this latest huge rally. There'll be another one, I guess, in like 2024. Why, um, why, sorry, Mike, why does a halving lead to a rally? Because what's effectively happening is the supply of Bitcoin, the supply of new Bitcoin into the market cuts in half, I think like overnight or if not, you know, if not overnight over a really short period of time. So the amount of new Bitcoin introduced into the system cuts in half. And if you think about it now, you've got big institutions like PayPal that are allowing Bitcoin um, transfers have to keep Bitcoin on their, you know, on their balance sheet or not on their balance sheet. So they have to keep an allocation of Bitcoin in order to be able to conduct those transfers. Coinbase, Gemini, Binance, Mm. um, even big banks now, if they want to be able to allow people to trade in Bitcoin or buy and sell Bitcoin, they have to keep some. Um, So effectively, you've got all these big institutions, investors, retail um, investors wanting to buy Bitcoin. If the supply halves every four years and continues to every four years and the demand increases, the price will go up. So basically, it can't be inflated. There's this one fixed supply. And some of the arguments linking it to inflation are that as long as we continue to print more money and have inflation, which even a healthy inflation might be like one or two percent, it's all Bitcoin is going to be measured against a currency that is inflating so it's always going to go up against it is again i don't know if that's true but that's the kind of argument that's made yeah yeah i can see that argument so a question is then so currently one bitcoin's mined every 10 minutes i think it what it, is, it is? Right? So presumably with the halving it will go up to 20 minutes um and with the planned halvings in the future the last bitcoin will be mined in the year 2140 so then wow, the 20 million go, then. will be well, yeah, but we've got a while to go. But equally, what happens at that point? Because there will be no more mining because no miners will bother because you're not getting rewarded with a Bitcoin every half an hour or whenever it is at that point, probably every few hours. So what happens to the ledger and what happens to the transactions after that point? How do we verify the transactions without miners? And how do we, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've got What's no the idea. plan? No idea what the answer no. is, but it's a really interesting yeah. If you do, please let us know because there has to be an end game, isn't there? Of we're still going to be spending Bitcoin in theory, right? After that point, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it'd be an interesting to one that. to read about. We'll find that out for next episode at Cryptoversity MJ. If somebody yeah. can tell us, and again, do the <laughs> yeah. homework for us. But you're right. Like, how does because that it's the process of mining that is what verifies. All of the transactions. Yeah. If nobody's mining anymore, how is that done? I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Like, I don't think we've just figured out why Bitcoin guys found a problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, Elon, get him on the phone. But yeah, I'm, I'd be interested to know the answer. One of the other things that I think is interesting is I've heard loads of people talk, like the Bitcoin evangelists, talk about how Bitcoin's going to like raise everybody. You know, everyone's going to have a better kind of economic standard of living. Just buy. 0.1 Bitcoin now, and you'd be able to retire off it. And they talk about that being something that's going to kind of create this equality for the everyman that we can all be mm. rich if we just buy now. But 
that only really works if you're buying now. Like, well, if it does go up to a million dollars a coin, what happens to somebody that wants to, to get in on it? Yeah, years from now? Yeah. So is it and just like to our, supreme, our generation? But our, our supreme leader who has it in that wallet, yeah, that first wallet, he'll dominate the world, won't he? There'll be complete opposite of inequality. Of equality. Add him back. Let's get on his good side. Let's get on his good side just in case. What also happens is you've mentioned they, they may have lost the key to that mm-hmm. wallet. So does that mean they're frozen? If that's true, are they frozen in there forever? If we all lost our keys, are we fucked? Yes. And that's the other thing that's interesting is you can see on in that on-chain analytics how much Bitcoin just hasn't been moved for, say, like two years or five years or 10 mm. years. But presumably there is going to be Bitcoin that people own and then they've passed away and they you know their family don't know about i'm sure there are people out there that have died or lost their key and that just seriously it's frozen then like i just if anyone's like me they keep their passwords on a fucking scrap of napkin paper next to their you know next to their open front door you know (laughs) or like you know what i mean it's if you get if if there's a if there's like a, a magnetic pulse or whatever that like short circuits your laptop or like all our laptops in a city then surely keys are going to get lost and that's it so there's no like backdoor entrance in to a wallet basically no and and i actually had a bit of a scare with this so i have a coinbase wallet and coinbase wallet is separate to coinbase so you've got the coinbase Mm -hmm. app and then coinbase wallet coinbase wallet allows you to try and sell crypto that isn't available on the main crypto the main coinbase app and so the coinbase wallet is effectively then being a custodian of your crypto but it's a private you hold a private wallet right. and it gives you that like i think it's a 16 word code so they give you like a random 16 word code that you have to use to log back in and they like really emphasize coinbase did everything they could they really tried to <laughs> improve it but <laughs> me being lazy they're like hey, mate don't forget this now make sure you write it down don't lose it and they gave me this 16 digit code they asked me to repeat it like three or four times and i just pulled it up like you know you kind of swipe up on your iphone and you can see two screens at the same time and just kind mm-hmm. of copied it from the one that they'd given me so i just kind of copied it down and then got into my coinbase wallet happy days bought some decentralized some mana on that like a decent amount that i would not have been happy losing i then got a new phone and it asked oh, me to like put the address in it. 16 thing in. And I had yeah. no, or the, yeah, put the 16. I had no idea what the words were and would have lost all of that. I managed to dig out the old phone, but had I like traded that phone in, I would have lost like a decent chunk of money doing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, it, they've tried their best to idiot proof it, but there are. There are I guess that's a price you pay out. by there not being the whole decentralized thing is you haven't got your bank to call, call yeah, up and shout and, at and have that back door for you. trying their best to yeah. help you like the other day my coin i ordered some christmas presents to people that live far away from john Lewis. oh nice i look forward to that yeah Jack, yeah. yeah 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 uh they lived um doesn't matter where they lived basically but the bank froze my car because i'm like you don't live in these places and you just ordered these lavish generous gifts um and i had to call them up and, and be like look no it is me here we go da 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 i'm like all right fine Right. But yeah, but there's no if someone and similarly if someone ste- if someone gets hold of your key or steals yeah. your you no one's helping you, are they? No. And if you and a lot of people, like if you don't have a lock on your phone and you don't have a lock on your Coinbase app, if someone just picks, if someone just finds your phone, they can send their your crypto to their wallet and you're never seeing that again. And you can go yeah. to the police, but you're never gonna get that back. In the same vein, 
taking out a malicious actor, like let's just say another mistake, like forgetting your password. Say if I want to send you some Bitcoin and you accidentally give me the wrong address to send it to, it's gone. Mm, if it's you gone, accidentally yeah. give me your Ethereum address instead of your Bitcoin address, it's gone. So it doesn't get returned. If you like click on the wrong thing, and yeah, I've done this a couple of no... times where I've moved, I've never sent it to the wrong um i've never lost any from doing this but i've done it a couple of times where i'll send crypto from my coinbase to my BlockFi account or vice versa and if you send bitcoin to your ethereum address you just lose it there's no there's no getting it back oh. there's no calling anybody you just lost whatever it is fifty thousand dollars because you happen to copy and paste the wrong address yeah. i mean yeah i wonder if as it evolves and matures this the sort of world the space of crypto whether those institutions that provide those kind of backups right will emerge so maybe not like banks but like insurance companies that say you pay a fee to every month whereas and if one of these accidents happen they back it up for you that kind of middle because we just human race just fucking we love those middlemen don't we like we right. just become them and so i i imagine that that would happen wouldn't it like or a place to store your 16 word thing in a vault somewhere like a big building that stores it for you or so the, I don't so know, the, or, the, the complexities of that right are that that's called third party risk that you're then taking this right. whole beautiful decentralized no one party can be the the risk to your money and you're basically just saying well that's great i'm going to take that and just give that to an organization and they'll the, well, sure, if they but, get hacked so but if, we're like, saying that's a better solution than no then the risks all on me and my stupid phone swapping yeah well like for i'd me rather you, give it to third that. parties <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i think right? that makes there's a reason sense. i give my money to the bank and don't store it under my mattress right 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 and that's a good reason it is but it i guess it just it takes i'm, I'm with you and i would do that and i guess we are doing that by even keeping uh, crypto on an exchange because if Coinbase yeah. were to ever get hacked like there was the famous i think it was called mount knox maybe that was um hacked and loads of people lost their bitcoin um so we're trusting a third party anyway but i think there are a lot of like bitcoin purists out there that would say that sure. is completely against the ethos but just just on the um the insuring your bitcoin there definitely are companies doing that we're actually working with one of them so we're working with one of those companies through BlockTal, through the blockchain recruiting company that I own. It's a company called Shaw Crypto. And they are, I don't know the exact details of it, but I believe they offer, um, you pay them a, a, obviously an annual fee, but you pay them an, as an insurance policy sure. that if your Bitcoin you is go. ever stolen or whatever, they'll return that. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. Good. Right. This is going on a bit, Mikey. We Covered need to... Um, it is. How long have we been? That's Bitcoin. Yeah, quite a bloody while. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that's really, that, to be fair, that was, that was a good chat. It was good. It? Yeah, it was good. I think so. I well, was, we'll know when yeah. we listen. We'll ask yeah. Hugh, Hugh oh. listen. Was that any good? Hugh, what do you reckon? Yeah. Thoughts? Uh, well, we can good. whip through Portfolio Wars, can't we? Because we actually Portfolio have Wars. Yeah. Yeah, we, we haven't started it, have we? We'll just talk about what we what it is and what our kind of initial thoughts are, our sort of plans. And do we want um, to invite listeners to join in, or does that just make it harder? Does that make us weirdly liable? Probably a bit. Yeah, risky. you know what? Great point. Forget that. Uh, <laughs> Forget yeah, that. we're not. Don't basically don't copy what we're about to do. Let's explain here. And if Wait, you do copy it, then now, I thought we were like, this is cut. We're cutting this bit. 
this is all cut. The whole thing's cut, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Jack Cut. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's jump, uh, jump back in as if we like say, like, oh, yeah, great, interesting stuff, blah, 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 and then jump into Oh, you're being serious? Oh, I was, yeah. We, you, think we, you think we're keeping this in? This is already going to be two hours. You think this shit is staying in? <laughs> this is a favorite. This is my favorite bit. All that boring Bitcoin <laughs> stuff can go. Um, so, Mike, Portfolio Wars, then, the final segment. What is this? What are we doing? Yeah, so Portfolio Wars is, like I said, combination of fancy football and investing, where what we're effectively going to do is create a year-long game and a challenge between Jack and I, where we're going to start um, on the same day. So we're going to start on January 1st, 2022, and we are going to do a head-to-head battle to see who can build up the best crypto portfolio now this is going to be real money so we're both going to take a thousand dollars and we're going to invest it all the rules here so the rules are as follows we have a two-hour window where we have to convert that thousand dollars into crypto we can invest it all into a crypto project like a bitcoin and ethereum right away or we can put some into a tradable coin and a small amount in, or you know, some amount into USDC, which is a US dollar coin. So it's effectively the same as like keeping some cash on the sidelines. Um, but yeah, we're going to invest it all. The rules are we're allowed to do 10 trades per month, which is going to be roughly kind of two, two and a half a week. Trades where we can move into cash, out of cash, trade from one coin to another coin. Um, the other rule is that we have to add one new coin to our portfolio every month, and we have to verify it by sending the trades that we do in real time to a WhatsApp group that Jack and I are in. The highest percentage increase on that portfolio at the end of 12 months will be the winner. And do we have, have we got any kind of is there like a forfeit or a prize for whoever wins? Well, doesn't the winner win the other guy's money? Isn't that the... Uh... Yeah, are we doing that? No, God, no. Okay. <laughs> so savage. Uh, yeah, it'll be a bit of fun. It's not how we would recommend anybody trades. You know, in no. the real world, you'd never trade with like a set limit of trades or where you have to, you know, add one new thing to your portfolio. So it is just a bit of fun. It's really just to stimulate our interest in other coins in the, the space generally and stimulate discussion for the podcast, really, isn't it? Yeah. And and with a bit of skin in the game. So where we have some there's some amount of risk there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's where that rule of like we have to add one new coin per month. It's just so that we like have to learn, you know, it's not, so we don't just have 100% Bitcoin for 12 months and it's a bit of a boring segment, but we'll mm. have to learn about new coins and yeah, just see see what happens. Do we turn that $1,000 into a million or more likely, do we lose all of our money in month one and do we need recommendations from the listeners for a new segment? <laughs> Thank you. It's win-win as far as I'm concerned. One of the wins is a lot better than the other win, but we'd win nonetheless. Yeah, great stuff. So we'll start that on the... So the next pod we do, we will have done our initial investment, Mike, right? For January, say? Potentially. Well, I don't know. If we do one in a couple of weeks, then probably Actually, not. it's not January, is it? Yeah. We, but we can... So next, next pod, we could talk about, like, what are we what are we looking at? What do we think is interesting out there? Sure probably try and just put each other off and divert our attention oh you're going with that one 
Yeah. Ooh, okay. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll start it January 1st. Then we can then, yeah, so the closest part after that, we'll announce the portfolios. We could even put, like, on Twitter, we could put a little link to the Excel sheet that shows the portfolios. So if anybody is, you know, they can't sleep at night and they're trying to, well, who's winning? But who's winning this Thursday at sure. 3 a.m.? Check it in real time. Yeah, that's yeah. it should be fun. should be exciting. And, you know, a bit of padding for the episodes where we haven't got a lot to say. Brilliant. Perfect. Good. Com- I think that's all. Comprehensive episode, Jack. Comprehensive. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, um, Going to no. be a lot of work for the editor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just whack it up there, I reckon. Warts and all. <laughs> so, so that was everything, Mike. Next episode, though, what are we? What are you thinking? We're going to be looking at. We've done Bitcoin today. What's coming yeah. up? And I'm sure there'll be more on Bitcoin. And there's a few other things that it would be cool, like on my little checklist that I'd love to learn more about smart contracts is one of them. So like how do smart contracts work and how do they relate to to Bitcoin? But I Mm -hmm. think something that is really interesting at the moment that a lot of my friends are are starting to invest in and talk about are NFTs, Mm non-fungible tokens. Controversial. Uh, Yeah, a lot of hype, really controversial. So I think that would be a really cool topic to, to cover next episode. Yeah, fully agree. So yeah, the NFTs next time. Yeah, and that's it really. As we say, thanks a lot for listening. Give us a like, give us a follow on whatever platform you're you're listening to us. Give us a tweet, all that good stuff really, Mike. Yeah, just thanks for listening, Mom and Hugh. And yeah, uh, yeah see you next time on Crypto. Hope Jim was good, Hugh. Enjoy your gym. Um, cool, thanks, Mike. Cheers, We'll yeah. see you soon.